Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Welcome all of those on LinkedIn, follow myself and our guest today, Knox, on LinkedIn, and <clears throat> subscribe to the show so that the next time we come on, you can see it. For those of you following us live on YouTube, yes, we're live on YouTube as well, um, hit that subscribe button and that notification button. That way, the next time we go live, you will see us. And for those of you joining us after the fact, thank you and welcome for welcome to the show. Um, we already have some guests chiming in, Knox, so let's see what they have to say. <laughs> Terry says, my favorite time of day to hear about breaking into cybersecurity. I told a joke today about oil and people didn't laugh since it was a crude joke. Uh, Come on. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Welcome, Jermaine. Okay, perfect. If you are um, signing in, uh, yes, this is being recorded and it will be available for restream. Um, if you're joining us live and you have questions for Knox along the way, feel free to send them in. Um, good morning, Roy. Thank you for joining us from Utah. Perfect. Well, we the thing I love about Knox's story, and I'll let him get into it, is that he was a teacher at first. And that's one of the things that I, I love seeing teachers come into this field because we absolutely need that skill. And I think it's often overlooked. So uh, Knox, tell us about yourself, um, starting from being a teacher. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm Josh Knox. And uh, as you've already picked up, I, I just go by Knox. There's too many Joshes in the world. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I was a, a high school teacher. Um, my degree was actually in Bible. And uh, I, uh, I've always been a, a tech guy, though. I've always loved um, working with, um, with technology uh, at my first computer in sixth grade and, and learned to do basic on a good old TRS-80. Um, but but uh, that wasn't the direction my life took. My life uh, went kind of down a ministry direction, and I ended up um, at a uh, Christian school uh, here on the south side of Indianapolis, and I was teaching Bible. And the uh, internal IT person um, was also trying to teach the uh, coding classes. And so uh, I had been, I had still always had it in the background, always been passionate about tech, always playing and, and learning things on my own. Uh, I just never thought, I guess I need to get this out of here. I never thought that I was capable of going into the industry. I thought people who are in the industry know everything, right? And, and I'm not, I don't have that experience. I'm not smart enough. I can't do it, but I, I did it for fun and, and played with it. So I, I volunteered and said, uh, hey, I know you're struggling trying to do the internal IT and you're trying to teach these these coding classes. Uh, oh, and he was also the drama director. Oh. <laughs> so so I said, I can do it. I can I can do, uh, you know, high school level Python or Java or something like that. Uh, and so he, he uh, talked to the administration. They let me do it. Uh, so I started with one class uh, on Java. And I use the old uh, Think Like a Computer Scientist um, curriculum that's out there online. I think that's still out there somewhere. And uh, at that first year went really well. I enjoyed it. Uh, second year, I had two classes. I was doing a middle school computer class. And I was doing, uh, I did Python the second year. Um, and by the third year teaching uh, coding, uh, I was up, I was, I think I was at a third class by that point. I think I had three, three coding classes and one was an A plus course. 
uh, which we, we knew we would never get through all of it. Uh, one was um, we did Unity with C Sharp, and that was so much fun because our final was to make a first person a first person shooter, oh, nice. uh, at least one level. And then that third class was again that little middle school uh, kind of intro to computer class. So that's how I got started with it. And then um, I decided that uh, I wanted to do this full time. Um, I, I wasn't getting any younger. You don't make a ton of money uh, teaching. And I had daughters who were headed for college. So I decided that I would go ahead and, and pursue and, and get that A plus and I got the network plus. And so I, um, and this is where networking is really important. Uh, one of the parents at the school owned a managed service company in Indianapolis, a managed service provider. And so I reached out to him and said, Hey, I, I really think I'm ready to, to make the jump to, uh, to the, this full-time IT thing. And he said, well, okay, well then you're going to work for me. Um, <laughs> what he didn't tell me though, was that I was going to start as a uh, tier one, reset your password, uh, you know, guy who answers the phone. And uh, yep. that's where I got started. Nice, nice. Um, well, I wanted to touch on a couple of things. Uh, first, we have some some comments. Um, Jermaine says, well, while it's early in the show, um, it looks like you're running everything on those monitors like you're running a corporate sock. Yeah. Um, and I comment on that too. Uh, so love your setup. Uh, we have Henry from Miami. Carrie also mentioned that she had a TRS-80 uh, growing up. Yeah. And then um, Jermaine says, wow, I need you as a teacher. Um, <laughs> but talking about you as a teacher I love that you brought up that imposter syndrome, right? Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome. They just don't talk about it. And the fact that you came out the gate and talked about it and then how you overcame it. Um, I love that hero story because we, we need people to realize that, that uh, it, it isn't as scary or uh, crazy as you think, and you can do it. And you you chose the well the help desk route chose you <laughs> yeah. yeah so let's go from there how um where do you go from the help desk route and uh, how did you get here yeah so um i do think you're absolutely correct that uh being a teacher and 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 i was also a, a part-time pastor as well really prepared me uh to be able to deal with clients i was used to talking in front of crowds um, whether it was a classroom or, or a, you know, a larger setting. Um, so I did have to get used to talking on the phone. I wasn't doing that as much, but I had to get used to that. Uh, but I was only a tier one uh, guy for three months. So for the first three months, I was drinking from the fire hose, resetting passwords, learning about Active Directory and domains. I had never, I had never done that. Done a lot of code, but I'd never done like enterprise Microsoft stuff. So drinking from the fire hose on that. At the three month mark, uh, they figured out that I was pretty good with customers and could talk to people, even if I didn't know everything yet. So they they put me in charge of one of the larger customers um, and also put me in charge of the help desk at three months. Uh, it was it was like, oh, there was only I mean, there were only like four of us. But they said, you know, this guy obviously can handle this. Um, we need you to schedule everybody. We need you to work with this client. So, again, just drinking from the from the fire hose. Um we, we were 24 seven. So I, to answer the question about the monitors, this all got started um, back then, way back then. This was like six years ago 
at this point, maybe seven, no, six. Um, but I, I would get a call from somebody at, at, you know, two in the morning and they're like, I can't get to this server. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to be any help. I haven't learned that much yet, but you know, I, I, I had to find somewhere in the house where I could, um, quietly come down here, you know, so it was the basement. So I come down to the basement and work with my, with my other engineers to, to try to figure out what the problem was. And of course it was a windows environment. So I always use that as the excuse of why I needed so many monitors. Cause I was RDP'd into like four monitor, uh, four servers at once. So, and I had chat and I had email. So I, I use that as an excuse, but really I just like all the monitors. <laughs> um, so they eventually made me the, uh, I think within a year, they made me the service delivery manager for the whole company. And again, it wasn't the largest company. There were only about 12 of us, uh, you know, engineers. And, um, but at that point I was scheduling uh, the field, the guys who were going out in the field, uh, the, the, the people who were doing the actual, you know, help desk. Uh, and I was managing customer relationships, uh, going on site. Um, interviewing, I was interviewing people for the company, which that, if we have time for that later, that, that ended up being a huge opportunity, uh, for some other people, I was able to kind of pay it forward. Um, but I, I, at the end of that, uh, they were killing me, right? I, no ill will towards them. It's just, it is what it is. Anybody who's worked for a managed service provider knows that it is, it is difficult work. Um, and, and it was taking a toll on my, my life and my marriage. Uh, so what happened was uh, I was nominated for an award here in Indianapolis. There's a, there's a group in Indianapolis called Tech Point. And uh, they have this uh, yearly uh, thing they do called the Tech Point 21. And it's like up and coming non-C-level people in, in tech. And my CTO um, nominated me for it. And I, and I won. I was one of the 21. So while I was at the award event, uh, awards event, uh, again, networking, my wife was sitting next to a very nice lady who was an HR director for a, a uh, tech company in the city. And they got to talking. And by the time the night's over, you know, I've got her LinkedIn and, and we've, we've kind of, you know, met each other. So about a month after that, I, I decided I needed to start looking outside that company and seeing what my next adventure was going to be. So I reached out to this HR lady um, and uh, said, do you have any, any positions that you might need me for? And they, they uh, hired me uh, to come in and I became, uh, I, I was actually their internal IT person at the company is how I came, came in the door. And the funny thing was, is they were a Mac shop and I had never touched Macs in my life, but yet they, they were willing to, uh, they knew I'd, I'd pick it up. <laughs> so I had to learn a Mac environment um, and became in as their internal IT guy. Nice. Um, some, some great comments coming in as well from earlier. Uh, Kimberly mentioned as a woman in STEM, very f familiar with the feeling of imposter syndrome. Thank you for sharing. Michael Mims mentioned such a great story. Sterling mentioned that the best way to learn is to get thrown in. Um, and, and then we have Rakeem that's saying, been there trying to explain to my boss why I need uh, a 43 inch <laughs> with flanking 23 inch monitors. Exactly right. <laughs> enterprise, enterprise windows. That's what you need it for. So, um, well, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. So new environment ramp up in Mac, like how's that go? Uh, it was tough. It was really tough. Cause, cause they, uh, if you've never touched and now that, now that I've, 
worked on Macs forever. It's second nature. But if you've if you've never really worked on a Mac and and then you uh, go from completely Windows environment um, to to a, a Mac, it was it was insane. Now, luckily, they were using an Office 365, uh, you know, back end for their email and everything else. And so I was familiar with all of that. So that was fine. Um, it was just uh, getting used to. Uh, to those, uh, you know, Max. Now, now I love them. They're great. <laughs> it just there is a learning curve there to make sure you, uh, you understand them. Yeah, absolutely. So you you progress on like, what's your interest in security? Like, how did that flourish? Oh well, okay. So I've always liked that, right? Like, so I even thought back back when I very first even thought about getting into IT, that was kind of my dream. I remember that that uh, that employer at the MSP, he asked me, like, what, what do you really want to do? And I said, oh, man, well, if I had anything, if I had my dream job, um, it would and I said it would be like pen testing. I, w- I would love to be that social engineer guy who is walking into the front desk and trying to talk to the receptionist and or whoever and trying to talk my way into, you know, whatever place or room or thing or place I shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> Because I love that kind of stuff. And I always did. But what I figured out very quickly was uh, I was going to have to earn my way into that position. So what I what I really had to do was I had to put that security thing off to the side. Right. And uh, I had to just be happy with what I was able to get to. And 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 I feel like going back to the imposter syndrome, um, I have a I, I have a problem and I will admit it to the world here. I have a problem. It's called certifications. Right. <laughs> So I didn't stop. I got that A plus. I got that net plus. When I was at uh, the MSP, I got an ITIL. Um, and then uh, here at the company that, that I'm, uh, this next company that I was at, um, I continued with this really bad habit of, uh, of picking up certifications. So the next one was a security plus. Um, and then I got three AWS certs, um, just binged on, on AWS and, and got those out of the way. Um, so to continue the story a little bit, uh, this company did a lot of government contracting. And so, uh, I weaseled my way, uh, to the vice president of engineering and said, Hey, you know, one of these days you might need me to help with something. Like I do know how to code. I know how to do other stuff. You know, maybe we could start getting my clearance going and, you know, and, and he agreed. Yeah. Like, you know, you're right. You know, we're, this company was only about 60, 70 employees. Um, and, uh, and same thing, like, uh, they said, all right, well, that, that makes sense. So let's start getting that going. Uh, they, they had a need. I remember a, uh, a client asked if we had the ability to like hook up Alexa to their vSphere. And I, I caught wind of this. Right. And so I said, you know, I didn't even say anything to anybody. I went home that weekend and figured out how to make a little POC. Yeah. And I came back on Monday and said, look at this POC I made. And I'm like talking to uh, Alexa in the office and I'm like, hey, uh, give me the vSphere status. And it's like, you know, you have 600 VMs and 30 are not working properly or something like that. And it worked, right? Um, so uh, they didn't use it, but I was still was able to prove that, um, you know, you could do that. You could, you could hook yeah. that up through the API. Uh, so needless to say, it wasn't too long after that that I, I did weasel my way onto the engineering team. Um, and at that point, I started, I had already was getting the AWS certs. That was, by the way, that was a big, and, and I can't stress this one enough. So because I had the initiative to go ahead and get AWS, a lot of the other engineers did not have it yet. 
they were very uh, vSphere heavy. Um, and that was fine. I was learning all that stuff too, but they didn't have, they hadn't gone cloud yet. So because I went ahead and saw that the team didn't really have a cloud person and because I took the initiative to go for it in that realm, uh, inevitably it happened. We had a client who had needs for, uh, AWS. And so I was able to fulfill that. Um, they had another client that needed, uh, help with Python. And again, there weren't, there weren't a lot of people that had that. So I was able to kind of come off the bench. Um, and so it, it was hard because for a while they kept trying to keep me as the internal person <laughs> and have me doing some billable work, which they really liked because they were getting billable hours out of me and the internal IT. Yeah. Um, but they, they figured out that that was bad. So I think about a year and a half in, um, they moved me over completely into the engineering squad. And by that point, uh, my clearance had started taking effect and they were able to start making me billable um, immediately. So, so let's let's talk about how you're doing security in engineering. Because I think there's that, I, I don't know, dirty feeling that, oh, to be in security, you have to have that like security title, but that's not necessarily true. Like. Um, mm -hmm. You could be architecting solutions, you could be um, securely designing infrastructure, all those things. Uh, tell us about how, how you integrate security into your role. Yeah, so I am really big on platforms like Try Hack Me and Hack the Box and, and all of those uh those that are out there. Um, recently, I finally started getting into Proving Grounds, but uh, I, I really have always enjoyed that kind of stuff. And once, once hack the box hit the scene and, and even before that, I remember uh, back in the day, there was like hack this site, I think it was. And that one eventually shut down, but uh, I would work through those and learn things. And, and uh, so what became fun was when we were architecting things, I would say, Oh, we don't want to do that because it's vulnerable to this thing. And people would be like, what? And I'd be like, yeah, watch. And I'd show them something and they'd, they'd be like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even know you could do that thing. Or that was a vulnerability. Um, so I, I think that was the part that was always kind of fun. And and even in a in a situation where you don't have the title of um, of security, you can still be the person who can answer the question. If you're the one in the room who can say, well, that's going to be a security problem. I mean, just simple, silly stuff, right? Like I remember uh, one, one of those early on things was uh, somebody couldn't, somebody said something silly about like trying to uh, do... Uh, Oh, they were trying to tra traverse a network, right? Like one one connect, you had a connection to a network here and a connection to a network that same network over here, and they couldn't figure out why the traffic couldn't come through. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a traffic's trying to traverse the network. That's a feature. Like you can't do that. You'd have to peer the VPCs or do some other thing or whatever, you know, right? And I was able to explain like that's a security thing. That's just inherently never allowed. Yeah. Um. So. So I think I think uh, that was where my mind was always kind of on those things, and I was able to to you know speak to them even early on. Wow, um, Jer uh, Jermaine is saying Knox. That's a perfect example of always be learning and taking initiative um, with regards to both your AWS certs and your other certs, being that person that the company needs without them knowing it, and then just being there when they need it. Yeah. Um, 
Rakim, which regards to your Alexa comment, stop snitching to senior management, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jessica mentions that she loves your computer setup. Um, and then Jermaine says, what's funny is uh, Mac doesn't feel uh, simple, especially at the admin level when you come from Windows. Yeah. And uh, that that's true because it, it is Unix-based, so it's totally different uh, subsystem. Although Windows now has Linux, so uh, they're coming to the Unix side. <laughs> <laughs> and then Julie is also joining us. Uh, hashtag lifelong learners, absolutely. Um, so so let's, let's talk about that. Um, how do you continue to include security as a uh, solution architect within your, your, your current role? So yeah, so jumping to, jumping to the current role right now, um, I ended up uh, doing it again. Uh, I, I started learning Kubernetes. We had a client that wanted to uh, deploy one of the apps we were working on onto Kubernetes and nobody on the team had Kubernetes. So I, I went home over a Christmas break a few years ago and started playing with Rancher and other things and trying to learn learn some Kubernetes. And again, I realized there was a cert, so I went ahead and got it. Um, and so that got me into the, into the Kubernetes world. Um, jump ahead again. Uh, VMware found me and said, uh, said, hey, you, you have clearance, you know Kubernetes, you're kind of a unicorn, here's money. And, and I, I jumped over to, to you know, VMware and to Tanzu. Um, and, and see, here at this point, Chris, this is what's interesting. Once I finally got to VMware and started doing uh, the work with them, um, that was when I realized, okay, now, now is the time that I can truly focus back towards security. And so I, I feel like I tell people, I feel like my first, you know, four, almost five years in, in, uh, in the tech world were my, were my pre-med, right? Like that was pre-med. I just had to learn all the, all the foundational stuff, all the stuff like automation and Linux and Mac and windows. And it was learning all these things and, and security was always there in the background. Um, but I had to get through pre-med and now I feel like I can take, I can pick a specialty, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you, t you think of a doctor, like I'm going to pick cardiology, I'm going to pick oncology, I'm going to pick whatever. And, and I feel like just now I'm finally able to say, okay, now I want to pick a specialty and I want that specialty to be security. And in my case, I've, I've even tried to specify even a little further security in Kubernetes because I'm already yeah. there. And again, it, it aligns with my employer and what I'm doing, you know, during the day. And so um, that's been the, the route I've been trying to go. So I've, I've picked up, I have a Kubernetes security cert. I have an AWS specialty, uh, the security specialty. I picked up Pintest and Pintest Plus and, and cybersecurity analyst, all, all that stuff. Um, so that I, so that again, and by the way, that's the, that is the thing about uh, being older and coming to this. Again, I feel like I have to just rack up those certs so that I can say, look, I really do deserve to be here, uh, even though the, the career is short. Um, well, let, let's talk about that. Um, yeah. There's there's a cert that's the piece of paper. And then mm -hmm. there's a cert that is, here's the experience that I learned and the piece of paper to prove it. Yeah. And I'm... I'm I'm just guessing based on our conversation, you do the certs to learn rather than do the certs for the paper. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I do. I, I do the search to learn because the my thought process is always if I'm gonna if I'm gonna venture into this new technology, uh, I want something to prove that I ventured into this new technology. Yeah. And so I, I I I always assume that it's it's in my best interest to go ahead and and just not just learn it a little bit, but learn it enough that I can I can also have a cert for it, and then uh, that way I can continue to 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 go down that path. Okay. So we have we have a question from Rakim. Can you explain solution architect specifically how solution is defined? It always seems like it's a catch-all title for management when they need a full <laughs> scope problem solver. It and, is. I mean, coming from your history, it probably is true. Yeah, um, yeah it is. Uh, so what that means when when they say your solutions architect, what that means is that to me, at least, I don't know if this is the official answer, but to me, it means that I know my product. Right. And I also know enough about the rest of the world that when you as a client come to me and say, I would like to put your product in my snowflake environment, <laughs> I am able to design uh, a way to do that. And I and I, I because I've done it enough, I know the pitfalls or the things that are going to be a problem or the things that won't work immediately. And so I'm able to help architect a solution where I'm able to take my product and lift it into your environment, because we all know that everybody's environment is a snowflake and they all have different requirements, but you are absolutely correct. It is kind of a catch-all term many times. But it sounds like, cause it is a catch-all term. It allowed you to pick your specialty mm -hmm. um, of Kubernetes and then now of Kubernetes security, where Jermaine has a question, what resources did you learn for uh, Kubernetes security? Um, my, my two favorites that I tell everybody are uh, killer.sh, killer shell, killer.sh, and uh, Code Cloud, um, which is um, another great uh, platform for Kubernetes. So, so Code Cloud with Ks, Code Cloud. <laughs> and, and then, uh, like I said, killer.sh. Both of those have, have wonderful courses. Killer.sh especially is almost overkill. Um, but but in a good way. Uh, so if you can if you can get through both of those courses, you'll be ready. But they make you you have to have your Kubernetes admin cert before you can sit for the uh, security cert. Okay. And for those that might be newer to to the industry, um, what's Kubernetes and how is it different than say virtualizing in a normal environment? Mm-hmm. So the way I always like to explain this is um, it, it's, it's about, they always say it's about, it's about organizing workloads and blah, blah, blah. But really uh, from my standpoint, you have to think of it as an evolution, right? You had uh, back in the day, you had a server and it was literally a box. And I feel like in my years, because of my path, I, I got to see this firsthand. So you got a box sitting in a closet and that's your domain controller for windows. And that poor little thing's working 24-7. And if anything happens, he's dead. And you had to have a backup solution. So then some smart people came together and said, well, we need to virtualize that server. And so then the box became a host. And then you had a VM inside the host. And the VM, uh, you could have several VMs in one host. Um, but even then, a lot of times that server is sitting there and idling at like 5% and not really using all the resources it could be using, especially in a, if you were in a cloud and you're paying for a cloud environment, oh my gosh, you do not want to have uh, some large server sitting there idling at 3% and you're paying a full price for it. 
so the, the way I always try to explain it to people is now, imagine that we've abstracted one layer further. Now we have containers and containers um, most of the time are sharing the kernel with the VM. So you've got your host and you've got a VM in the host and now your containers share the kernel with that VM. The, it, it's, it's always Linux. There are no Windows containers. It's not a thing. Um, so they're sharing with the host. And so now what you can do is, is now you can have containers that expand and utilize those resources inside that VM. And, and you can have uh, three or four VMs and, and you have uh, Kubernetes is orchestrating these containers and you don't have to worry about it. You have a definition, uh, the container pulls an image and then Kubernetes even schedules, they call it scheduling, the containers where they go. So it looks at the nodes and it says, oh, this node has room. Uh, let's utilize that node. And so it deploys the containers in it. It can watch- Is a node, um, go ahead. For, for those following track, is a node a virtual machine or a physical machine? Yes, a, a node is a is a is a virtual machine. Okay. And so then, as your Kubernetes environment fills up, uh, you can just add, you just keep adding nodes, more VMs onto uh, your Kubernetes environment. And Kubernetes will, uh, you can have a single ingress um, solution for all of your applications. Uh, you have networking inside, so Kubernetes takes care of its own encapsulated networking for all those containers. So you can keep that hidden away from everybody. Um, so there are a lot of things that end up getting abstracted away. The development process in theory should be easier because you develop for a particular, you develop for a container, uh, you have an image of it and you just deploy it and then it multiplies and it scales out to, to whatever you need. It's, it's, it's a lot harder than the way we just explained that, um, <laughs> but that's how it works. Now, Security, it, there's a big uh, misconception out there that security is just better, like inherently better in a container or in Kubernetes. And that is that is completely false. That's that's the same as saying that somehow a VM is somehow more has better security than than just a physical box. Like not true. Um, Kubernetes has if it is not configured correctly, it is just as vulnerable as anything else um, that is out there. So. It's, it's and, kind of fun to find those things. And if you have a vulnerable container now, you have potentially thousands of them that are vulnerable versus one. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> and so, then, if, then you try to find some clever way to break into your, uh, to get out of the container and onto the node. Um, and then once you're onto the node, then you're trying to find clever ways to either be able to deploy more containers to mine your coin, or you're trying to figure out how to get credentials to the cloud provider that the Kubernetes is running on so you can mine more coin. Um, so it, 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 uh, it's, it's vulner there's vulnerabilities that you have to watch out for. Oh, thank you for that, that quick lesson there on Kubernetes. Um, so we've gone from starting out in help desk to now becoming a, a, a Kubernetes security professional for anyone listening now or in the future. What one piece of sage advice would you would you give them um, if they were following in your footstep? Um, and and you're just saying if you're if you're trying to to just break in break in period. Yeah, break into cybersecurity, and they were yeah. following your footsteps. Maybe um, potentially even as a Kubernetes specialist. Yeah, I, I I think it's a couple things. One is one is you do you know more than you think you know, and and you're you're more valuable than you think you are. That's that's the very first thing. 
Um, the second thing is is just start learning. Just just find what you're excited about and and start learning. Um, we've heard this one all before, but start networking, meetups or community or whatever you can do to start meeting some people um, and and contribute back. Like the, 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 they're kind of the the standard things that we hear, but they're very true. And um, uh, don't be afraid to to just jump in and and get going. Right. Because, uh, like I said, the, they need you out there. Um, get in that get in that first job and then find I, I had really good advice. My, my first job, uh, an older fella at my first job said, find the hardest thing to do and go do it. Um, and, and, and he was right. If, 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 if you don't shy away from the hard things uh, that your company or whatever you're working for is trying to do and, and you're able to provide value, um, then you'll keep moving. If that fails, do documentation and the engineers will love you. <laughs> that, that is absolutely true. <laughs> Well, for everyone following us on LinkedIn, thank you for following us. Thank you for contributing to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Follow myself and Knox. Um, for those following us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and the notification button. That way you see us next time. And for those of you following us after the fact on podcast. Give us a 10-star rating. That's twice times five if you can. Uh, if not, I'll settle for five. Uh, and then share it with five more people. Uh, and that way we can have lots lots more people in the industry. As Knox said, we have a need. So uh, share it with five more people. Everyone, thank you very much for joining us. Knox, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me.